Glory to God. Good to see you this morning. We were getting so many notes this morning about who wasn't going to be here. It's good to see you folks that are that are here. How they, the rain had nothing to do with it or anything like that. Just people were letting us know they were in different places. But good to have you here this morning. We have the children in, kind of a surprise. We um, look like we're going to be short on folks from the worship team. So we made a change and uh, brought the children over this week instead of in two weeks when they normally would have, have been over here. So it's good to have you here, kids, if you're here for the service. And uh, yet, if you want the children's sermon notes, we have those back for you. If you want to take regular notes, that's all fine. And if you let us make a copy of that after the service, we give you an opportunity to go into the pastor's treasure box back there in the, in the back. But it's good to have you, good to have you here. All right. Well, since we have the, the children in, I actually changed the schedule of where we were supposed to go here this morning into something different. We'll probably get into that next week, but I uh, wanted to go in a little different direction with the, with the kids in here. We're still on our same topic. We've been looking at having faith in our prayers that most of the things that we need for in life are in one of three places. Either God has it, other people have it, or we have it. But most people, when they make prayers to God, four things... Pray in such a way as if God has it. If we ask God for things that God does not have, God cannot supply it. Now, the super spiritual way to look at this is that God has everything. But God does not have everything. Because what He has given to you is yours. And we could spend some time and go through the Word of God and show you that. But just know this. What God has given you is yours. Otherwise, why are people bringing things back to God and dedicating it to Him? How can you bring a tithe of what is yours if it's not yours? If it's all God's, then the whole thing is His. So there are some things that God does not have, and one of the things God does not have is what is in the hands of other people. And God does not steal it out of their hands and put it into yours. But one of the common prayers we have is, God, give me favor. Give me favor with this person. Give me favor in this situation. And yet we don't see anybody making a prayer for that necessarily in the Word, asking God for favor for this particular thing. But there are places that talk about favor. So we've been spending some weeks on this. How many were up on Facebook and saw the question we put up there this morning? Put one up there last night too. All right, nobody saw the one from this morning? Doggone. All right. I put one on up there. How many know that we showed you some places in the Scripture where people have always assumed, like with Esther, that she asked for favor from God? And we show you that it, it actually wasn't there. Yeah. Well, I put up there a scripture. And if you were up there on Facebook and check it, checked it out, you would have seen this question. Is this someone asking God for favor? But since you all weren't there, we won't go into that. <laughs> no, you don't have to look now. We will, we'll get around there in, in a little bit. But we've talked about over the time here, we've looked at the, the flavor that you have. And we brought out all those uh, food groups. All those foods, the celery, the people representing people that are bitter. Bitter people. How many of y'all know some bitter people in your life? How many have recognized some people are bitter after we brought that to your attention? How about horseradish people? People that are moody. Sometimes they're hot, sometimes they're they're not. Different different things going on with it. And we brought out the you know, the sweet people and all the different things, the ones that pick you up and, and uh, the coffee people. And we then we, we talked about the things that you bring into your life that change your flavor, change how you taste, 
We have to be careful of those things we bring in. Some of those things are anger. Some of those things are hatred, unforgiveness. And you bring those things into your life and it changes the flavor that you have. And when people first meet you, they may not know you, but they can pick up the flavor. And we showed you how Esther, how Ruth, how Daniel, how his uh, three buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how when they were met, even for the first time, that they had favor. And other people did not. There was something about them. And so we spent some time on that. But here, we're going to take a look at this. We're going to be talking about this one. Uh, your presentation. How many of y'all know that there's a, there's a way that you can present some things that are good? So I've, uh, I've got some pictures. So uh, these are a lot more than I would have normally gotten, but we thought the kids would enjoy some of these. So here's a presentation. Now, if you were an adult and you were coming into a meal, this is a presentation that you would like to see. Let's show our first slide up on there. This is, how many would like to see this presentation? You come into a meal, this looks pretty nice, doesn't it? How many kids could care less? That's right. That's exactly. Go on to the next one. Here's another one. This, we're getting near the, the holiday times. And doesn't this just look nice? Oh, I tell you what. You just look at that and say, boy, no matter what the food tastes like. Oh, it's just good to be here. We got one more like that. Go ahead and throw that up there. I think we do. No? All right. Go ahead and throw the next one up. These are for the kids. Now, <laughs> how many of you kids like this presentation of food? How many think this looks pretty good? Got a strawberry there for the head. We've got some strawberry shortcake there for the body, but it all looks like a snake. How many of you know if you were a kid, this looks pretty good? <laughs> all right, right there. Let's go put another one out. How about this one? <laughs> all right, it's a cat. I understood it was a cat before I put it on there. But do understand this, it has gone through the oven. So I was kind of pleased. Let's go on to our next one. How about this one? Now, doesn't that make vegetation look good? Max, would you eat one of those? There you go. And that's all vegetation. We got spinach leaves in there. We got tomatoes. And I have no idea what those other things are except maybe black olives. I don't care how you dress up a black olive. I am not eating it. I am not eating those things. They're, they're just no good. Go ahead and see our next slide. Now, I have no idea what this is, <laughs> but uh, if I was a kid, I would probably be very interested in what that was. <laughs> is that what that is? Huh. All right. I had no idea what that was. <laughs> I just thought, boy, that looked interesting. You might like that. Now, not all food is presented in such a way that it looks quite as appetizing. So hang on to your seats. Let's go on to our next one. Now, this is actually a good meal in some places. Not here, apparently. Let's go on to the next one. That's actually a meal, and it's considered to be very good for the place that it had come from. Um, I am not eating that. I really don't care how you present it, how you dress it up. I am not. I don't even know what it is. I don't care what it is. I don't care how good it is for me. That looks awful. And just the presentation of that tells me, do not go near this. This was not intended for human consumption, but it actually is. And some places do eat that and enjoy it. N not in our house. Go on to the next one. Now, how many kids like this? I mean, come on, it's a fish. It's look, it even looks like a fish. I mean, it's kind of dressed. No, not going to. 
See, it's the presentation of the food, isn't it? The snake had your interest. This one doesn't. I think we have one more, don't we? Two more? Yeah, there is absolutely no way that is ever going to look good. I do not know what that is, but no matter how, no matter how good it is for you, how many, if this is the most nutritious thing, you're going to eat, you're going to eat this? I have had squid. That does not look like the squid that I've had. I will say that. It may well be. That was kind of my guess on it too. Uh, something along those lines. But boy, I'll tell you what. That is about as unappetizing a way to present that as I've ever seen. All right. Go on to our next one. And here's this one. Uh, no matter how you dress that up with the mouth and eyes, that looks like slop to me. And there's just no way I'm going to jump in there and to, and to get it. All right, we can, uh, we can drop them off the screen. We don't need to leave that one up on the screen. That's kind of gross, kind of disgusting. Sometimes we are not always aware of how we present ourselves. But how we present ourselves has an effect on how people look at us and how people want to either extend favor or not favor. It's how you present yourself. Some people present themselves very well and some people do not. Let's go over here to our scripture in Nehemiah chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakala, it came to pass in the month of Shizlev in the twelfth year, as I was in Shushan, the citadel, that Hanani, one of the, my brethren, came with men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress, and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. And so it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Now, some of this, I, I get kind of surprised at this because I think, Nehemiah, you are a smart guy. You wouldn't be in the position you are with the king if you were not a smart guy. We know the city was burned. We know the people came in and smashed down the walls. Why are you surprised that it's in that condition? But hearing about it and whatever it is that they gave on the description, it brought him to a place of great sadness. And he was not sad before this, but this brought him to a, a place of sadness. And he was, uh, as he put here, so it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for what? Many days. That is more than two. If it was one day, would have said a day. If it was two days... I think you just would have said two or maybe a few. We have many days. So we're going to be looking at three, at the minimum, I would say, four, five, maybe six, maybe longer. It was a lot of days that he was in mourning. He has a job. How many of you all know, even though that you are sad, if you have a job, you've got to show up for that job. Verse 5, And I said, I pray, Lord, God of, the, of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. Who does he keep his covenant with? Those who love you and observe your commandments. We've told you before, favor is not something you ask God for. It's something you grow in. It's something that you live. There is a way of favor. When you live in the way of favor, favor finds you. Remember the two examples we gave you. One from the Old Testament. It said, And Samuel grew in favor with God and with men. In the New Testament, it says of Jesus, Jesus grew in favor with God and with men. 
Favor is something that you grow into. Just like faith, you cannot pray, have your faith increased. The disciples wanted that shortcut, asked for that shortcut, and Jesus said no. But faith, though it may start as a seed of mustard, uh, as small as a seed of mustard seed, it will grow. Let it grow. Let your favor grow. This is what happens with a lot of people. They live their life the way they want, not the way that God says to. And when they get to a spot where they need favor, they say, God, I need favor. Like God can wave his magic wand and grant you favor. When you have not lived the way you were supposed to live or done the things that God told you to do. Life is a whole lot easier if we just do what he says. Verse 6, Please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant which I have prayed before you now day and night for the children of Israel, your servant, and confess the sins of the children of Israel which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest parts of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have, which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Verse 11. Watch this verse. O Lord, I pray... Please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name and let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man for I was the king's cupbearer. Now, does that sound like he is praying for favor? Doesn't use that word, but that comes about as close as anything we've seen, hasn't it? I pray grant him, speaking of himself, Mercy in the sight of this man. This man is the king. So his request is, I'm going to go before the king. I have a request before the king. And I pray that he extends mercy to me for this thing. Because he's apparently seeing that he needs mercy. This is not something that he earns. Not something that he has deserved from the king. And so he asked for, for him to, to do mercy. Now understand, you start off this prayer... Here when he's talking about we did not do what you commanded. We did not live the way that you told us to live. But you said to Moses that if you return, I'll bring you back. So we've come back. Basically, we're keeping the, the, the commandments of God. But he says, oh Lord, I pray. Let me have mercy. Let me have mercy. Now, before we get more into that verse, let's take a look at what he what he goes on and what he asks. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 2. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. Therefore the king said to me, Why is your face sad since you are not sick? There is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid. Now think of this whole thing in the picture of what we have read. How many days was he mourning? Many days. If he was not able to show up for work, how many of you would think that the king would assume he had been sick? 
But the king says, you're not sick, which means he hasn't been absent from work. So even though he is mourning, he has not shown up in the king's presence sad until today. This is many days after he got the news. Whether that's three days, five days, seven days, it's many days after. So apparently he has been going for the king's presence during this time of mourning and fasting, but has not been sad. But today he's sad. Now how many of you have pretended to be sad? I mean, you've been going in, doing, doing some things, looking good, and all of a sudden, I'm going to let people see that I'm sad. Maybe when you were a kid, or maybe your kids now have pulled this on you. Come home from school, wake up in the morning, whatever it might be, and they just, you can tell they're sad. And sometimes they have that look where they're looking, are you, are you, are you watching me? Oh, there you are, I'm sad. Trying to get your, your attention. I don't know that Nehemiah could have been said to have been doing this because of the next verse. Therefore the king said to me, Why is your face sad since you are not sick? There is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid. If he wanted to be, appear sad so that the king would take notice, wouldn't you get excited? Why would you get dreadfully Afraid. Because apparently, his sadness, he would not allow to come into the king's presence. But on this particular day, the sadness was so great that the king saw that he was not himself. He was not going about it the way that he normally did. Verse 1 said this, Now I had never been sad in his presence before. Now they've been in captivity court for quite a few years. Can you imagine being able to say of your job that you have never, not one day, shown up at work and were sad? Can anyone here attest to the fact that you have never shown up at work Sad, in a bad mood, or anything but happy and joyful. All the days of your employment. <laughs> I mean, we give it a try, right? But how many of y'all know there's been a, there may have been a day or two? Look at Nehemiah says about himself. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. Can you fake that? Can you fake it, not being sad for all the days of your employment? I mean, you might be able to come in there and fake it a few days, but most if you're sad, eventually it's going to come out. That means that what we understand about Nehemiah is that Nehemiah is a joyful person. This man has a lot of joy on the inside of him. How many of you know some joyful people? That every time you see them, they are just bubbling over. They're just happy. They're just joyful. They're just, mm, can't wait to get going on today. Today is a new day. Oh, this is a good day. Mm. 
Therefore the king said to me, Why is your face sad since you are not sick? There is nothing but sorrow. Well, this is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid. Apparently it may not be a good thing to be in the king's presence and be sad. Now he had planned to go in and ask him something, but I don't know if he planned to also be sad. So he says, May the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? Now, I don't know about you, but I think this is kind of a bold statement to make to a king. You haven't told him anything about what's going on over there and all of a sudden you dump this on him? Again, he has never been sad in his presence before. Then the king said to me, what do you request? All right, now picture this. We, we always got to take the word of God and bring it home. You got to get to a place where you can live it. Can you imagine showing up at work every day and you're happy and you're good. All of a sudden you come in one day and you're sad. And the boss comes to you. You've never been sad before. What's up? My house is in shambles. Carpet is old. The furniture is, is terrible. My kids don't have beds to sleep in. There's no doors. The wind just comes howling right through. Half of our windows are out. The roof has holes. And we have buckets out to catch the water every time it rains. We have no heat. We have no air conditioning. My house is a wreck. All right, so you said all that, and then, the, and then the boss, he says to you, Lamar, what would you like me to do? Hmm. What is your request? A king, a king. I'm not just talking about an employer. I'm talking about a king. A king is asking you, what do you want? Let me rephrase this for you. This will fit in the context. Nehemiah, what will make you happy? Well, how many of you like a king asking you that question? <laughs> what would make you happy? <laughs> they can come up with a few things here, huh? Verse 5, And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, he's, he's got a list. He didn't have to, say, have to say, you know, let me go home and think about that for a little bit. No, no, he's got a list. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tomb, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, How long will your journey be, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. That's not all. Furthermore, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river, that they may permit me to pass through till I come to Judah. And, I, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he must give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, which pertains to the temple for the city wall, and for the house that I will occupy. And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. All right, so what's he asking for? First off, he's asking for permission from the king to do this. He's asking for time off. He's asking for safe passage. 
And he's asking for materials to do it. So this would be, I'm going to put it back in our other spot here now. You went to your boss and he says, why are you sad? And you told him about your house. And then, then you say, well, what would make you happy? Well, if you would give me time off to fix my house with pay, time off with pay, that you would pay for a hotel room for me to stay in while we're doing the repairs. Uh, if you would write me a check for Lowe's, that whatever it is that I need, that I can go there and get. And that you would give me people to help me do the work and to make sure that everything between here and there goes fine. How many of you are going to get that from your boss? You get, maybe you get time off with pay. If I take my vacation time, <laughs> I've already earned. <laughs> I don't know if Nehemiah gets vacation time. You see, he's a captive in a foreign land. I don't know that he gets vacation time. So this is a captive in a foreign land who has a pretty nice job asking for more stuff. And the king says what? Okay. In fact, it even says it pleased the king. Now, you can read over this and miss everything that has just been stated here. So I want to make sure that you don't miss this. If it pleased the king to give him paid time off, pay for a place for him to stay, make sure he has safe passage, and you're going to see what that involves here in a little bit. This is not just a letter. And pay for all the materials needed, not to fix a house, but to repair a city wall. And he wrote the check for all that. And it says it pleased the king to do it. How many of y'all know you must have lived yourself, lived your life in such a way that you made that king very happy during your time of serving him? How do you do that? Well, number one, you don't come into his presence sad. He came into his presence. Oh, Nehemiah is going to be here soon. He is always so full of joy. Can't wait for him to get here. There he is. Oh, I can just feel the joy coming from him. And can you feel that, Martha? Yeah, can you feel that? His wife. I don't know who his wife's name is. Doesn't really tell us that. But <laughs> can, you, can you feel that? Oh, I just love it when he comes in. It is such a good day when he comes in. And he's his cupbearer. I imagine some of that is testing the food to make sure no one's killing the king. I don't know what all involved. I didn't look up the cupbearer job. Probably could have and told you all sorts of stuff. But he's got an important job. He's right there before the king. And the king, it pleased the king to do this. So he must have lived his life with the king in such a way that the king, uh, he just couldn't wait. You know, I've been, you've been blessing me all these years. And now I get a chance to bless you back. I'm going to take it. And it pleased the king to do this. Pleased him. Now, you wouldn't just give this to anybody, would you? Especially one who's a captive. They're a foreigner in the land. And they're captive. So it tells us a little bit about Nehemiah. He had joy, except for this one day showing up at work. Now, there's a whole lot of Christians that substitute other things for joy. It looks like joy, but it's not. And we substitute other things. 
And so I brought in some other pictures. I kept Daryl busy here this morning bringing in a lot of pictures for y'all. So I brought in some more pictures for us to see. And I want this, this first one. This is a nice picture. Let's pull that one on up. This will, Oh, that's not the first picture. Where's our other one? We have a plate of Oreos. You see where that one's at? There we go. Plate of Oreo cookies. How many of y'all like Oreo cookies? I mean, these are like the best cookies on earth, aren't they not? We got we got no, no, no. All right. How many people do not like Oreo cookies? All right, three of you. Everyone else who is spiritual. <laughs> they like Oreo cookies. All right, well, this is all around Oreo cookies. I knew no matter what cookie I would pick, somebody wouldn't like it. So we picked this one. Of the Oreo cookies, how many of y'all know there is no cookie that is substituted more than the Oreo cookie? And here's our first one, first substitute that comes up. Why don't you take a look at this? This is Oreo cookies called Firework Oreo cookies. They have pop candy on the inside. So when you eat those, has anybody ever had those? I thought they were fake at first. I had never seen these things, but apparently they are real. Pop! You know that pop candy they get, you put in your mouth and it just goes, it just pops all over the place? They put it in an Oreo cookie. Go on to the next one. Red velvet with cream cheese flavor in an Oreo cookie. How many of you sounds, does that sound good? Has anybody ever had these? We have somebody who had them. So these apparently are not fake. I could not even imagine destroying an Oreo cookie in that way. That is completely the destruction of a, of a perfectly good sound cookie. Go on to the next one. Red velvet. What is that about? Peppermint. Peppermint. You like that one? I mean, I can almost get into that. I like peppermint, but, you know, we can't just have Oreo cookies. Now we have to have peppermint. Go on to the next one. Let's take a look at this one. Chocolate. Now, you see, this is the same stuff on the inside, but now it's chocolate, chocolate, and chocolate. The beauty of the Oreo cookie... I'm serious. There's a beauty about the Oreo cookie. What is wrong with you people? The beauty of the Oreo cookie is the balance. The two chocolate wafers with the vanilla in between. You would have to bring that up, wouldn't you? I tried to get a picture of the double stuff. I think I had it, but I, I think I lost that one. You see, now double stuff, as soon as you go out there, how many like the double stuff? Doggone. See, double stuff, No. It throws off the balance. The beauty of the Oreo cookie is the proportion of chocolate wafer, vanilla middle, and chocolate wafer. That's the beauty of it. Go on to our next one. S'mores. We can just rattle through these. Keep, keep them going right on through. We don't need to spend a whole lot of time. Filled cupcake. Cinnamon bun. Mocha. Dunkin' Donuts mocha, of all things there. That's, uh, what else we got? Bacon cream. That is wrong. That is just so wrong on so many levels. I'm wondering if this is fake. I'm wondering if somebody just took this and photoshopped it right over top of that. Because who would put bacon cream? Oh, my. All right, keep on going. Peanut butter cup Oreos. <laughs> Mint. I know somebody who likes them. All right, keep on going. Uh, I have never seen this. Candy corn Oreo cookies. 
<laughs> Toasted coconut. That's our last one? All right. Now, I did not download all the ones that I found because I didn't want to bore you with too many pictures, but I figured some of you would like the some of them. Halloween. I think it's pumpkin on the flavored on the inside. Ice cream. Two flavors of ice cream put on the inside. Watermelon. Birthday cake. Strawberry shortcake. Now, here's one. I thought maybe this was photoshopped. Maple pancake. And I know this one was photoshopped. There is absolutely no way any company in the world would possibly make this final one. This final one that I found was spam. That's just gross and disgusting, isn't it? Now, the reason we brought all this up here is because there is no other cookie that a company purposely went out and varied it as much as they did the Oreo cookie. But the Oreo cookie was perfectly fine. Just the way it was. It was perfectly fine. We didn't have to go to all these other things, but we went out there and we did all that. And sometimes, you know, they're limited edition. They're only here for a little while. It's the same thing, folks. What God has given you in the joy of the Lord is perfectly fine. But too many times Christians are substituting it with something else. And as soon as you go to substitute what is loved by so many people, suddenly there's a group here that doesn't like them. Red velvet? Uh, or somebody else might say, oh, I'll give it a shot. But you see, it's a substitute. Because this is what we do as, as Christians sometimes, is if we don't have the joy of the Lord in us, we substitute smiling faces. We substitute, I'm in a good mood. I'll, I'll put out that I'm in a good mood. We put out things that, these, these, aren't, these aren't help. Pleasant words. I'm always saying nice words. And I keep saying those nice words, but are not filled with joy. And you see, it comes across to other people. They can tell it's not quite the same thing. These are temporary copies. Temporary copies. These are not the real thing. And we get so used to what our cell phones can do anymore. Our cell phones can take videos. Our cell phones can take pictures. We always have them around. Remember when, when our kids were growing up, if you wanted to take videos, you had to have the VCR camera with you. And this was no pocket-sized thing. This is something that was big. And you had to, on purpose, bring it along with you and have it all ready with film on the inside, ready to shoot. But now the kids are doing something fun. Just pull out your phone and start taking pictures. We got so used to the to the videos that some people don't even want to go anywhere anymore. They just sit at home and watch all the videos that people put up on Facebook. All the videos that people put up on YouTube. It's not the same thing. We're used to fakes. God has given you the joy of the Lord. And if you cultivate that and put that down the inside of you, and everywhere you go, you carry the joy of the Lord. Even if things are not going well, that joy cannot be contained. And when the joy of the Lord, not the joy, not the things that other people try and fabricate, not the things we try and put in, not the fake stuff that we try and throw in there, but when that joy is coming out, people just love doing stuff for you. 
It says it pleased the king. It pleased the king to give him paid time off to furnish him with a house where he was going. To make the way to get there safe and to finance everything that he had need of when he got there. That's certainly favor, isn't it? Verse 9, Then I went to the governors in the region beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. Not just a letter. Captains of the army and horsemen. Now how much does it cost to send captains of your army along with horsemen to go along with Nehemiah? You are paying them, not just him, you're paying them now to do something other than their normal job and to follow him along. So now he's got a small army with him. That'll guarantee you safe passage, won't it? And what did it say that the king, how did the king do this? It pleased the king. It pleased him. Now this is interesting because Nehemiah didn't ask for this. He asked for letters. He got an army, a small army. Not a captain. He got captains and horsemen, plural. That's pretty good. Now don't just write that off and say, well, we got the understanding of that. You also got to send along meals for all the captains, all the horsemen, whoever else is coming along, and all the horses. They got to have the ability to feed them. That's a lot. And it pleased the king to do it. This king didn't just all of a sudden wake up and say, I feel like doing something good for somebody. Let's find some unfortunate soul out there we can help out. It pleased the king to do this. Because Nehemiah had conducted himself in such a way that when he needed the favor of God, it was there. Too many Christians, we live our life the way we want. We live it selfishly. We live it without the joy of the Lord. We live it with bitterness sometimes. We live it even sometimes not forgiving the people, all the people, we're just the ones that we want to. We don't walk in the love of God. But then when it comes time that I need help, Father God, I need favor. I need favor. Please help me in this. Whereas if you just would have lived your life the way God said to live it, the door would have been open for you. Verse 10, When Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite, official heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that what? A man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. When you describe someone as a man, does that mean that you have an intimate knowledge of this person? Does that mean that you are a close friend to this person? Have you heard about this person before? Sounds like he's never heard of this person before. Keep that in mind. Amen. They really, as far as we can tell, had never heard who this guy is. And why should they? He's a cupbearer. He's in the presence of the king. He's not out there among the people. There's no reason for him to, to hear about any of this. Plus, he's in a different country, not in the country of Israel. So I came to Jerusalem... And was there three days. Then I arose in the night and, I, and, I, and a few men with me. I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Nor was there any animal with me except the one on which I rode. And I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent wall or serpent well and re, refuse gate 
and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and its gates, which were burned with fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate, to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal under me to pass. So I went up in the night by the valley and viewed the wall. Then I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the others who did the work. He didn't tell them anything was going on. He's got all this favor from the king. He's got all these supplies to rebuild stuff. And he hasn't told a soul what's happening. And why is that? Sometimes we open up our mouth too soon as to what it is that we want to do. And the reason that people don't look favorably on you, on you is because they don't even know who you are. And then you want to come in here and announce all these plans? Have you ever been in a, in a corporation, in a business, and a new guy was put in? new guy was put in. Somebody new came in and they took over a headship of an area that you were in. And immediately, they made all kinds of changes. How many of you looked favorably on that? And they started to put on things on you, paperwork that you felt was ridiculous and not necessary. It was hindering you from doing the work that you were doing. They changed some things that you thought actually worked pretty well and didn't change some things you thought weren't working. What would it, wouldn't it have better, been better if they came into your job and they met with everybody and says, Hi, I know I'm new here. Um, we want to keep things going the way that they have. I'm sure that some things might need to be changed or some things can be made better, but right now we're just going to leave everything the way it is and I want to watch and see what's working. And if you all want to come to me and tell me some things you think are working great, oh, I'd love to hear from you. And if you have some things that aren't working so well, come and tell me about it. And then after we get our feet in this and we're, we're, we're grounded, and then we'll, we can start making some changes together. How many of you, that's a whole lot easier. That's a lot easier to take. You see, they're working a few days to get some favor with you, to let you see that they're on your side. They're not just going to push things on you. This, this is something what Nehemiah is doing. He's going around. He's looking. What's broken down? What needs to be fixed? What's the vision of what we've got to do here? Because what he's going to do is he's going to come in here and he's going to ask all these guys to work hard. They all have jobs. They all things are trying to do to make themselves have a living in a land that is desolate. And he says, I want you to keep on doing your normal job. Plus, when you get done your work shift, I want you to come over here and let's work on the wall. So he spent a few days with them. He let them get to know who he was. He let the joy of the Lord that won over the king went over these people. And then he announced to them what it is we're going to do. Where do we leave off at? 16? Then I said to them, You see the distress that we are in now, how Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God which had been good upon me and also the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, Let us rise up and build. So he, he presented to them and said, Look, I know we're all in distress. I know it's been tough. But we can change this. And one of the first ways we're going to do this is the first off, let's make this a city again. Let's rebuild the walls. And I want to let you know, I've got favor from the king. He gave me all these horsemen. He gave me this small army to come along and make sure that we were safe. He gave me funds. He gave me materials. He gave me time off. He wants us to get this done. The king wants this wall built. 
and he's going to help you guys to get it done. And I'm here to do that. They got excited. And instead of getting depressed, here's more being put upon us. They said, hey, we can do it. Let's do this. Let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to, to this good work. But when Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of it, they laughed at us, despised us, and said, What is this thing you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? So I answered them and said to them, The God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we his servants will rise and build, but you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. Look at what they, they say. What is this thing you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? Do they know who Nehemiah is? No, they call him a man. But now they're already are going to pronounce on him, you are a rebel and you're bringing people into to rebellion. They don't know that, do they? See, it wasn't, it's not just a new thing that people publicize something incorrectly. It's not a new thing. It's been going on for a long time. Because if they cannot come against you with the facts of the case, then they're going to throw accusations. They're going to call you a rebel. Oh, if that word gets back to the king, we might lose our favor. Now he shook it off. He says, no, the king knows who I am. You guys don't. And he kept on going. See, you live your life the way that God tells you to live it, and people can throw all the stones they want to at you. But things just don't stick. Because they say, no, no, no. I, I know them. I've seen them work. I've seen the joy that they work with in their life. Everyone does better when they're around them. What you're saying is not right. And they will look down upon the people saying the report, not upon you. Have that confidence. Because that's the kind of favor you can walk in if you do the things the way God has said to do so. Verse 20. So I answered them and said to them, The God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we his servants will arise and build. But you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. So they had opposition with laughter and scorn. They had false accusations. They made threats. If you go on through the rest of this book, you will see the threats that they made. You will see the things that they said. They came out with everything that they could. Nothing was factual. They just tried to scare people. They just tried to get people to be unnerved. They tried to get the people around them to think, oh, we can't, we can't finish this. There's too much opposition. Just because God has called you to do something and you have the favor of God does not mean you will not be without opposition. There will, people, there will be people that will oppose you. Don't fret. Stand up. Now look at what they're, they're doing. They're saying stuff about these guys that is not true. That they're rebels. That they can't get it done. They even, they even threaten that the king is not behind this. They'll threaten all sorts of stuff to come, but there's no truth to it. Just because you hear something about something you like or believe in doesn't mean that what you heard is true. Always go and check it out. How many have ever heard stories about, well, this minister did this? And you find out that it wasn't, it wasn't true. What was that? Uh, I forget that one pastor. He was supposed to sign some multi-million dollar uh, contract to leave the church. It was an Elevation Church. The pastor down there in Elevation supposed to sign some multi-million dollar contract to go down to Texas and work with the church down there and leave his church where he's at. He came on. He had to address his congregation. Anybody see that? He came on and addressed his congregation. He says, folks, I'm not going anywhere. I didn't sign any multi-million dollar deal to go preach for another church. He says, I'm here. This is my church. This is where I'm called by God to be. 
And he actually had to come into church and address that. What a shame. How many other ministers have had to get up and address things because somebody in the news media decided to get out there and to, and to publicize us? We've, we've t- we told you this, and I keep telling you, because it's so easy. They are so good at misinformation. Don't bring them into your house. If they say something, believe the opposite. Believe it first, and then go check it out. Whatever they say is probably a lie. They are not, they are not about to promote truth. How many of uh, you know the, the horrible thing we saw over at Las Vegas? The terrible thing that was going on there? Do you know that somebody decided to, well, several people have tried to use that as a way to come against guns? And they have, mis, they have misinformed everybody. They said we have more guns in the hands of people now than we ever have. How many believe that's true? Well, you should because it is. There are more people own guns now than ever have in our country. But they just throw that out there that it's a bad thing. I saw the graph. If anyone here wants to see the graph, I will email it to you. But I saw the graph. The graph, I think it was from 1994, I think that was the year, showed the increase of guns. And the increase of guns in the hands of people has gone steadily up. But there's also something else on that graph. At the bottom of that graph is the number of murders uh, committed by guns. And guess what direction it was going? It went down. That as the guns in the hands of the people, law-abiding citizens, went up, the murders by those guns went down. Directly proportional. Every bit that the one increased, the other decreased. It was amazing. There was a guy who made it, published an article. Uh, we were talking about it when we were going to the gun show. We went to the gun show yesterday. That gun show was filled with people believing in God, telling you, God bless you. I've never seen a group of, of secular folks get together who had more God bless you's and, and um, God paraphernalia than I saw at the gun show. It was phenomenal. It was, it was great. But um, there's somebody, some joker who published an article that said that more people have died at the hands of guns in the United States than have died in all the wars combined. Now, how many believe that? Good, because it's put out by the media. You shouldn't believe it. Now, the numbers might actually be close, but here's what they don't tell you. Two-thirds, two-thirds of all deaths by guns in this country, two-thirds are suicide. How are you going to stop that? If you take out the number of deaths that are done by accidental guns going off accidentally and the suicide you are now down to one quarter of that number but they don't tell you that in the article all they want to tell you is that people are being murdered all over the place they don't want to tell you what's going on and it's a shame how many all know that this was done by automatic gunfire how many have the impression that automatic guns are a big problem in our country if you listen to the media alright here's a number since 1935 how many of y'all know it's a long time ago? I got two dates actually floating around my head. That's the soonest of the, the other ones later than that. So we'll go with the soonest one, 1935. Since 1935, exactly three crimes have been committed with automatic weapon fire. Three. Three crimes since 1935. How many of you think that automatic weapons are a big problem? <laughs> three crimes. You know why? Because first off, they're illegal. You can't buy them. And secondly, if you can find a place to buy them, they're extremely expensive. How did this guy get it? Because he had a lot of money. 
but they'll, they'll throw out things to try and get you that, that uh, you know, this is, a, this is a problem. Hillary Clinton decided to go on the, <laughs> she put them silencers, they're called suppressors. And she decided that to go this way, that if suppressors had been used, the death toll would have been higher. I mean, that's somebody who just talks off the top of their head and doesn't know what they're talking about. A suppressor does not do like the movies does when you don't even hear the shot. A suppressor knocks down a few decibels, but it's still very loud. You can still hear it plenty fine. The suppressor is not made so that the people around cannot hear the shot. The suppressor is made so that the person firing the shot doesn't lose their hearing. Because when you are firing a shot in certain situations, you can't put the earphones on because you need to hear the sounds that are going on around you. So they put the suppressors on. But that does not mean it's a silencer the way it is in the movies. But again, the facts in these cases aren't necessarily important. I also thought it was very, very interesting. How many of y'all know the, the, tr- the investigation that Trump has been going on for over a year to find out there is collusion between him and the Russians? How many of y'all know that? been going on for a year. 24 hours after this incident, they said there was no collusion between the uh, Islamic terrorist and this man. 24 hours. 24 hours. They said they, the FBI confirmed there was no, no collusion between the two. Even though Al-Qaeda is saying that they did. Or whatever, ISIS or whatever those groups. They're, they're saying that they did. Even though they say they did, they, we determined there's no correlation. In 24 hours. Don't take the information that they're giving you and just, just run with it. Understand there's other places you can go and get the real information and find out what's going on. But you see, it's all how you present it. Because how you present it determines how people accept it. And determines where it goes. And it's the same thing with you folks. How you present yourself to people goes a long way into how people will accept you and what they will do. It goes a long, long way. And God has given us things in his word. And if you will listen to them, if you will do them, he will alter your life in such a way that people, not everybody, but people are just going to like you. And they just want to do things for you. Remember, we're looking at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. Had so much favor from the king that he decided, well, I'm going to give you a second chance. I was thinking about this the other day. <laughs> How many of you remember the story? They were given a second chance. Yeah, if I had the ability to draw, and if any of you have the ability to draw and like to draw this, feel free. If I had the ability to draw, I wanted to draw this cartoon. Because this is the cartoon that came to my, my uh, image. Now, see, I can get the cartoon in my head, but my hands won't do it. <laughs> it's just... They're broken. They just <laughs> it won't look good. But this is the image I had in the cartoon. I had the image of, of the, the, the three Hebrew guys standing before the king, standing before the king, and the music playing in the background, because you can do that in a cartoon, the music playing in the background, and um, I'll tell you what music was playing in just a minute, but the, the music was playing in the background, and they asked the king, if we kneel before the music starts, will it count? That's my idea for our cartoon. And of course, the music playing in the background is, Oh, say, can you see? (laughs) If we kneel before the music starts, will it count? Because that is the most ridiculous thing I have ever seen. But you see, 
They got a second chance, but they saw this is not the favor of God. We will not bow down to your image. And they were thrown into the fiery furnace. And the king who was so mad at them, they heated it up seven times hotter than it was before. Saw them inside and said, come on out. And they came out. And of course, you know, the rope, ropes were burned, but their clothes were not. And the king says, there is no God who can deliver like your God. And this king who was so mad at him, because they did what God said to do, promoted them when they came out of the fire. If you want to get ahead in this world, there are some things that you can do by the world's standards. But if you want to have the favor of God, you've got to stay with what God says to do, even when it doesn't seem to be popular. Stand for what God says. Do what God says to do. Because these guys did it. I'm going to give you five things here. Five things. And I, I started writing this list and kind of narrowed it down and narrowed it down some more because the, the more we can focus in on, on, on what's there, the better it is. So I narrowed it down to five. You're going to think about this and I know you're going to think, oh, I, you could add this one in there too. I'll tell you why I didn't add some stuff in there, but I got five things. If you can focus on these five things, you will grow in the favor of God and the favor of people. If you can focus on these five things, make these things so that they are part, not fake, not something that you get a little additive put in there, but this is who you are. Five things. You ready? First off, be joyful. Be filled with joy. When you wake up in the morning, instead of coughing, you ought to be reaching for your praise time, praying in the spirit, getting yourself built up, being filled with joy. So when you go out of the house, you may be filled with coffee too but you are filled with joy. I don't drink coffee. I love the smell of it. But I do not drink it. It's not a religious thing. I just can't stand the taste. But I don't know many of you do. In fact, most of the people in my family love coffee. Nikolai and I, are the, we're the only ones. The little kids even like it. Chenzo, one year old, crying for mama's coffee. I want some. We're not talking diluted coffee. We're talking, however, mom, no, mom, you know, she puts creamer and stuff like that in it, so, you know, it's not just black coffee. It's not Gibbs type of coffee, but, but be joyful. If you can focus every day to have the joy of the Lord be your strength, the joy of the Lord be what's coming out of you, it would go far in getting you the favor that you need. Not something that you just pick up and put down, but something that you are. You are a joyful person. Here's the second one. Be faithful. Nehemiah, in all the time that he was before the king, Daniel, in all the time he was before the king, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, all the time they were before the king, Joseph, all the time he was in service, Moses, all the time he was in service, Joshua, all the time that he was in service, and the list can keep on going on. We're always faithful to do what they were told, what they were asked, what God had commanded them to do. Always faithful. Don't take time off. You are always faithful. When you get married, or when you got married, how much faithfulness did you expect out of your wife or your husband? Did you expect them to be faithful 300 days out of the year? 320 days out of the year? 
No, you expected what? Every single day. You expected. You expected faithfulness. If you got married and that husband or that wife said, I'm going to be faithful to you every single day except for one hour on one day. How many of you that would be acceptable? And yet when we go to God, we're pleased when we've been faithful most days. Don't be satisfied with most days, folks. Go after all. Be faithful. Whatever God has told you to do, do it. What principles you know from the Word, keep them right in front of you. I will do these things. I'm going to operate this way. I'm going to be forgiving. I'm going to be loving. I'm going to be caring. I'm going to be listening to the Spirit of God. I'm going to keep these things before me, and I'm going to do them every single day. Here's number three. Be humble. Moses was called the most humble man. Nehemiah obviously was a very humble person being before the king. So many others. Humble. We gave you the test for pride before. I'm not going to pull that one out again, but pride works its way into our life. If, if pride comes into your life, what does God do with those that are proud? Resist them. What's He do to those that are humble? Gives mercy. Mercy to the humble. Resistance to the proud. Which side do you think the favor is on? The humble side. So if you walk into the prideful side, what have you done with the favor of God? And what have you done with the favor of men? How many of you know people that are full of pride? Do you want to do things for them? Uh -uh. But how many of you know people that are very humble? Does it make you want to do things for them? Be joyful. Be faithful. Be humble. Here's a, here's a big one. And we know in the last days this one's going to be lost. Be thankful. Be thankful. What we see in this world going on is people are not grateful for what they have. I expect more. I know people have come and they paid my, my, my rent and they buy my food with food stamps and Section 8 for housing and all these and then they want more. Well, you should provide me my cell phone too and how come you're not paying for my cable TV? And where's the fun for a car? Because I need a car. And the gratefulness is gone. When you find people that are living off the system and exploiting it, how many of you want to do things for them? Anybody? When you find people that are not exploiting the system, having a hard time making things meet, how many of you all want to help them? Oh, you do. And generally, when you find those folks, they're thankful, they're grateful. Don't ever lose being thankful and grateful. When you wake up in the morning, be thankful with God the Father. Father God, I thank you. And you just name off things that you're thankful for. As you're going through the day, instead of just making requests of all the things you need, be thankful before Him. Give thanks. The Psalms are filled with people giving thanks on a regular basis. If you will focus on being a thankful and a grateful person, it changes who you are. And people will look to do things for you. One last one. Be loving. Most important thing, you guys got that one back there, huh? <laughs> be loving. Walk in love. most important thing you can do, folks, is to walk in love. You walk in love, you're not even going to sin, according to the Word of God. Walk in love. Be loving. As the Word of God defines love. Now, you think of some other things that I did, didn't put on here. What about obeying? I put that under faithfulness. What about trusting God? People who trust God certainly are going to... I put that still under faithfulness. Be faithful to His Word. You're going to find yourself trusting. 
Be walking in love. You're going to find yourself trusting. Now, there's one thing on this, not on this list that I wonder if anybody has thought about yet. Because there's nothing in this list about being a person of faith. Did you notice that? It's one of the things I initially wrote down. There's nothing in there about being a person of faith. Because this list is about writing or walking in the favor of God. There is also a level of great favor with God. Now look at the words of Jesus in the New Testament. Jesus came up to a person and they said, you don't need to come to my house. All you need to do is say the word and my servant will be healed. You remember that? And what did Jesus say? Remember the words of Jesus? I have... What did you get? That's it. I have not seen such great faith not in all of Israel. All of Israel. That's what he said. I have not seen such great faith not in all of Israel. Did people in the land of Israel during the days of Jesus receive the favor of God? Did they receive the favor of God? Yes, they did. Jesus went about and healed how many? All who were sick. Were people raised from the dead? Did people receive the word of God? Were people fed? I say that's the favor of God. Faith can take you to a place of great favor. Great favor. But you can walk in the favor of God and not have that kind of super life faith that we think we all need to have. It's good. Go after it. Great favor is better than favor. I'd rather have great favor. Just like Max said, I have not seen such great faith not in all Israel. Oh, I've not seen it. You can put that in there and that will take you to a place of great favor with God. Great favor with God. But we're just giving you five things here to focus on. You can put these five things in there. The favor of God will find you. And if the favor of God finds you, guess what else finds you? favor of people. The favor of people so much so that as Queen Esther stood before the king and instead of having her head chopped off, she was extended the golden scepter. What is your request? Ruth received favor from a man she had never met before, never knew before, and he said, make sure you leave some grain for her. Don't take it all. Let it fall for her. And let her rest here in the house. And give her some water. And all the things that he said because the favor found her. Daniel had favor with the man who was dishing out all the food. He had favor when he came and he said, we're going to kill you all. Well, why, why are we doing this? Why is the king's command so urgent? And it was explained that he got favor when he said, give me a day, I'll get this for you. Now, here's the thing, folks. The day that you need to walk into the favor of God is not the day you need to seek it. You need to seek the favor of God way before you ever need it. Because as we told you in one of the weeks before, getting favor for food is not a life or death situation. But getting favor when they're ready to kill you, that's a life or death situation. But if you don't get the favor at the first level, like Daniel did for the food, then when the life or death situation comes along, it's too late, folks. God, give me favor in this situation. Now, what have you done? 
There are going to be times that you need something that someone else has. Because God does not have everything. The positions that Daniel was given, the position that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were given, God didn't have those positions. Man had them. I've got one more thing to show you in this area of favor. At least so far that, as I, I imagine. Because what do you do when people... We're going to actually look at two things. We're going to try and combine it. What do you do when people absolutely will not give you the thing they need and they are the only ones that have it? There's no other place to go to. This is it. No other place to go. Only one person has this. They've got it and they refuse to give it to you. What do you do? And what do you do when you have done everything to walk in the favor of God? Everything to walk in the favor of God. And the thing you needed fell through. Fell through. We're going to look at both those two situations next Sunday. And then we're going to probably move on from there into how to pray when other people, when, when God has some things. Or when we have some things. Because the whole idea here is have faith in your prayers. Many Christians are making prayers that they cannot have faith in because there is no word on it. There's no word on it. I love this. I've been hanging on this one for, for months. How many have ever encountered a situation? You're going to get a test back from a doctor. You're going to get news about your job. How many of you have ever held, said these words? Well, I believe that when they make a decision... I will have my job. I believe that because I fell down, I believe I did not break a bone. Anybody ever thought that? Can you say these things? Now, I don't want to give you an opinion. I want to show you in the Word of God. Can you say those things and have faith in it? I believe I do not have cancer. Can you say that? Now, just because I'm asking you these questions doesn't mean the automatic answer is no, you can't say it. But you see, the very, ask, the very possibility, because you're wondering, well, can I do that? Shows that you cannot have faith in it. But can you get yourself to the place where you can? See, too often, folks, we're making prayers, we're making statements, and there's no faith in it. We just say it. Because I've heard it said before. And we've got to change that. When Elijah sat up, sat up there on the mountain and said, I am a man of God, may fire come down and burn you up. Was there any doubt that that was going to happen? And did it happen? If you stood up on a mountain and some bullies were picking on you and you said, may fire come down and burn you up, what's the likelihood that's going to happen? How is it that he could have faith in his words? How can I have faith in mine? Would you all stand up with me? Father, we thank you that we can have faith in our prayers. I thank you that we can pray for things that you told us we could pray for and have faith in that. But there are some things that we have fallen into a trap of praying for that your word never said was ours or that we were going after it in the wrong place. We think it's in your hands, it's in the hands of someone else. We think it's in your hands, but it's already been given to us. The only thing we can have faith for is those things your word promises us, the things your word tells us. So I thank you, Father that you will enlighten us, you will open up our eyes, that our prayers can be effective. We thank you for it.
In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Glory to God. Do we have any praise reports back there to, to hand out? All right. If you had any, just bring them on up here to me. Wednesday night, we're going to be uh, getting into the uh, uh, book of Hebrews. We're going to put it on Facebook where that was at. If you weren't on, on the, uh, online, we've got a lot of different things up there for you to, from the book of Hebrews that you can go out there and, and check out. And then next Sunday, you already know where we're going with, with what we have going on next Sunday. Before you go here this morning, bless some people before you, you get out. I think uh, they have an announcement. My daughter or my wife had an announcement, something to do. If you might want to tap on the door and um, get them to, to come on out. Um, oh, today at 1 o'clock. We're going to, 1 o'clock. What time is it now? 12.45? 11.45. We're down a little bit early. We'll probably get started a little bit early then too. So maybe somewhere around 10 of or something like that, we'll start up the uh, end times class. We're going to be on Revelation chapter 14. In Revelation chapter 14, it's showing us some things that uh, happened in between the trumpets and the, in between the uh, bowls and all that sort of thing. How many remember the have heard the phrase, the blood went up to the horse's reins? Everybody ever heard that? All right, how many of you picture a river of blood flowing up to the horse's reins? And the area that this is, is about, I think it was uh, 200 square miles for the area that it is. How many of you can imagine 200 square miles of flowing blood or a puddle of blood? Is that what the Word of God says? So we're going to show, we're going to get into that. That's one of the passages. We want to see what is it actually telling us to do. And it's real clear when you get into the Bible, it's real clear what it's talking about here for the blood coming up to the horse's reins. And we'll show it to you and say, oh, I see that. I understand it. So we'll, we'll get into that. And uh, a few other things that are inside Revelation chapter 14. That's going to take place about 10 of, uh, we'll say 10 of, of one. Um, Alyssa, you had something? I forgot even what it was. I can. Oh, yeah. Come on up. We were at the salt meeting last week. We were talking about what we we're doing for Christmas. And so some of you folks who weren't here, just wanted that opportunity for you to, to be able to do that. Christmas. Trees are out. We Happy October. It's Christmas. Yay. Yes, but if you were here at the salt meeting, you got a little bit more of it. If you weren't at the salt meeting, I just wanted to kind of catch you all up to speed. Um, how many of you were here for game night last year? Game night. You, you were here because you won something. Game night last year. Okay, so I'm so glad it had an amazing impact. No, but it really did. It was fun. Um, we agreed at salt meeting we're going to do game night again. That seemed to go over a little bit better than um, what we